Well, good morning and Merry Christmas, Faith family. You know, this is a special time. We don't get to do this every year. You know, typically it's just for our Christmas Eve services. And so what a privilege it is today on Christmas to be able to be together as a faith family. And I know the last couple of weekends have been really rough uh, weather-wise. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had the snow and last week the temperature and now ice. And some of you are like, it's just Minnesota, all right? That is December in Minnesota. But thank you for coming out to worship with us today on Christmas. If you have your Bible, make your way to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, while you're turning there. I always think about this on mornings like this morning. One of my favorite figures in church history is a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, and Spurgeon was actually caught in a snowstorm and found refuge in this old little Methodist church, Uh, and uh, on that particular Sunday, the weather was so bad, the pastor couldn't even make it to church. And so they asked one of the deacons if he would just stand up and preach, and he didn't have anything prepared, and so he just said, turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord, and pointed to everybody for about 30 minutes, and that's about all he did. And Spurgeon said, when he pointed to him and said, turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord, Spurgeon said, I turned. And right there in that little Methodist church, just trying to get out of the bad weather, Charles Spurgeon accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. I say that to say you're here, bad weather and all, for a purpose. And I am absolutely convinced that God has brought you here to work in your life. And that may look differently to different people, but God has brought you here because He wants to speak to you this morning through His Word. As we pick up where Pastor Roger left off last week, we decided that we would tag team a series called The Word, and he would take the beginning of John 1, and the Word was God, and talk about the divinity of Christ. And I would pick up this week on Christmas with, and the Word became flesh, and we would look at, uh, at the heart of Christmas, that God becomes a man. And listen, this morning may be a little uh, basic, uh, but that's a good thing. All right. In fact, what I hope is before you go feast on your Christmas lunch, that for these next few moments you will feast on majesty. That you will sit at the table of glory and be full. And I'm going to do my best to serve you well. I'm going to serve it hot. All right. And you need to come and eat at this amazing, amazing passage found in John Wood. John 1. Would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? John chapter 1, and let's pick up at verse 14. John's writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's right, who's at the Father's side, but he has made him. Known. This is God's Word. Would you please pray for me and pray with me now as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather on this day. And uh, Lord, I am convinced that you 
want to speak to us, that you want us to, to taste and experience the glory and the majesty that is Christmas. The Word became flesh. I am fully aware of my desperate need for anything to happen uh, that is lasting in this place. And so, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. That's my prayer. All to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we ask it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The famous uh, radio broadcaster, a man by the name of Paul Harvey... Uh, Some of you will remember Paul Harvey. He used to tell a story about a man who was known by everybody as a good man. Uh, Good to his family, was good to his neighbors. A lot of people in the community knew him to be a good man, and he loved Christmas. He loved everything about Christmas, the getting together with loved ones, the the, uh, spirit of generosity and giving, just everything that was a part of the Christmas experience except one thing. There was one thing about Christmas he couldn't stand. There was one thing about Christmas he couldn't stomach. And it was the idea that God became a man. He simply thought it made no sense at all. And it was the part of Christmas he didn't like. Now, his family, like a lot of families, would go to church on Christmas Eve. But he would always stay home. And on one Christmas Eve, he's at home alone, and he's in his recliner. He's uh, by the fire. He's looking outside the window at the snow falling. He's reading the newspaper when all of a sudden he hears a thud. And then he hears it again. And it it, it sounded like, you know, somebody was like throwing a snowball up against the window. And and it kept happening. And so he, he got up and he walked to the window and he looked outside. And what he discovered was this group of birds that were freezing in the snow. And they were trying to escape and hitting up against the window. Now, again, he was a, a good and kind man, and so he, he did not want the birds to freeze or his window broken, and he goes outside and tries to help. And he, he thinks, if I can just get them in the barn, then they would be safe. And so he opens the doors as wide as he can, but they won't go in. He turns on the light, they still won't go in. He drops little crumbs of bread to try to get them in the barn, and they still won't follow. He even physically approaches them to try to pick them up, and every time he gets close, they scatter. He's frustrated. He's frustrated. In fact, the actual words that went across his mind was this. You know, this would be a whole lot easier if I were a bird. If I were a bird, I could actually show them the way to safety, but that would mean I would have to become one of them. And as soon as those words crossed his mind, he heard in the distance the ringing of church bells. And this idea of God becoming a man which for all his life made no sense at all, finally made sense after all. Faith family, this morning, for just a few moments, we are about to behold glory. We are about to come into contact with 
Five words that have changed human history. Five words that will change your life. Those words are, and the word became flesh. He became one of us. In fact, this is what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle. And in order for us to really feel the weight of those five words, to feel the impact of which John intends for us to experience, we need to go back and look at what he said thus far, which Pastor Roger dealt with last week. Go back to John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That is, Jesus is eternal. He has always been. There has never been a time when he was not. I use that language because that language is important in church history. As some tried to argue, there was a time when he was not. No, no, no. John 1 declares there's never been a time when he was not. He is eternal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That is, Jesus is separate from, but in relationship with, the Father. He's separate from the Father, but He's in relationship with the Father. He is eternal, separate from, and in relationship to God. Keep reading. And the Word was God. That is, Jesus is very God, a very God. He shares the very essence, homoousius, of God. He is the very divine nature of God. Is your mind blown yet? He is eternal. He's separate from, but in relationship with God. And he shares the very essence of God because he is God. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. As if our minds weren't blown enough, add to the table we're feasting on today the idea that he is the sovereign creator of all things, including you. He made you. Because he made everything that's been made. And you're a part of what's been made. So Jesus is the one who made you. And everything else. Feast today. He's eternal. Separate from God. But in relationship to God. Has the very substance and essence of God. And he is the creator of all things. Verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That deserves a whole sermon. It is the idea of this longing Messiah, this King, the light that has come into the world. He is eternal, separate from, in relationship with God, the very substance and essence of God, sovereign creator of all things, and the long-awaited King. And if you feel that, like if, if, you, if you can just begin to wrap your mind around that, then when you read these next five words, you're speechless. Let's read them. Verse 14. And the 
Word. What word? The eternal word. The separate from but in relationship with word. The the one that shares the very essence of God. Word. The the light of the world. Word. The, The creator of all things. Word. That word became flesh. Flesh. Like us. Flesh. I'm pausing on purpose. Soak it in. Feast. It's hot. Eat. The glory, the majesty that the God became flesh. The word, all of that about the word at the beginning of John 1, that word took on flesh. Oh my goodness. What a feast to enjoy on Christmas. Now, now, I told him I wouldn't preach long. I won't say I lied because you're not supposed to lie, but all I want to do for us in these next couple of minutes is say this. Here's what this means, and then here's what this means for us, and it's the greatest news in the world. If you have a bad Christmas, it's not my fault. Because what we're about to see is glory. What does this mean? The Word became flesh, and then what does it mean for us? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. Feast. Jesus is God as man. That's what it means. Jesus is God as man. Read the verse again. And the Word became flesh. The literal reading is Word, flesh, became Word, flesh, became. That's important. Listen, faith family, because this has been heavily debated throughout church history and many heresies have gone awry because of this thing. Jesus did not appear as a man like he was really God, but just kind of gave an appearance that he was a man. No, that's heresy. He He wasn't created as a man. That is, he didn't exist and then he was created. No, what the text is saying is that God became a man. Do you know the word incarnation? Right, incarnation. The, the Latin for carne is flesh or, or meat. So incarne is in fleshing. God came in fleshing. Does that make sense? He took on flesh. He became Man, short and sweet, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Now you say, how did he do that? I had no idea. (laughs) I'm not too proud to admit it, as Pastor Roger did last week. Because here's the thing. Listen, listen. The, the, The point here is not to comprehend this, the point is to adore this. I've told you this before. If you can understand your God, finish the sentence for those of you that have heard me say it, your God is too small. If you're sitting here on Christmas and you fully understand the majesty and mystery of God, it probably means you are God. Because the reality of who God is is impossible for us to fully understand. That's why we're clay and he's potter. 
Because the clay stands amazed at the potter. And that's what this truth is intended to do. As Dorothy Sayers writes, From the beginning of time until now, it, that is the incarnation, is the only thing that's ever really happened. We may call this doctrine exhilarating, or we may call it devastating. We may call it revelation, or we may call it rubbish. But if we call it dull, then what in heaven's name is worthy to be called exciting? This doctrine is intended to, to, to warm the coals of your heart for glory to just simply stand amazed at who God is. God in fleshing. And the Word became flesh. I am all about reason. I'm all about, in fact, I believe that there is a rational argument for Christianity that stands up against any other worldview. Uh, Tim Larson, our chairman and elders and I, we've been teaching a class on apologetics on Saturday evenings. Listen, I am all for that, but you look at me right here this morning. I am not asking for you to have an intellectual activity this morning. I'm calling you to worship. I'm not asking you to figure it out. I'm asking you to stand amazed at the Word becoming flesh. That God becomes man. That eternal comes into time. That Creator becomes a part of creation. That Prince of Peace knows pain. That Great Physician will be killed. Five amazing words. And the Word became flesh. That's what it means. Now what does it mean for us? What are the implications of this majestic doctrine? Well, they're the rest of the phrases in John 1.14. But before we move forward, I need us to go backward. In fact, I'm going to set up the context and a narrative that will hopefully make these next few phrases make sense. Okay? Um, I want to set it up this way. I love movies. Now, most of you, if you know me, you know I love movies because if you come to services very often, you watch movies, all right? It's nothing for us to pull a clip and to use that as an illustration that we see uh, in the culture. And uh, in fact, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I grew up being told you weren't supposed to watch movies. Now I come to church and all we watch is movies, all right? So um, (laughs) go figure uh, but you know, like, in fact, Pastor Terry and I, it's nothing for us to be in a meeting, and before you know it, we're off track just quoting a, a movie back and forth, right? My wife says that I have this spiritual gift to be able to pull out a movie line and apply it to any social context, all right? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Any of y'all like that? Anybody? Do anybody know people like that? Is you're just in a conversation, and before you know it, boom, they quote a line. Now, what is it about quoting a line from a movie? What happens when somebody does that is it takes you mentally back to a scene or back to a specific movie. And so to set this narrative up, uh, I'm going to quiz you and give you some examples. They're super easy, super easy, but I want you to think about what this takes you back to. The first is this. When you hear the line, you can't handle the truth. Where does your mind go? It goes back to the courtroom, right? Right? Remember that? That's exactly where your mind goes. Here's another one. It's easy. If I say life is like a box of chocolates, what do you think of? 
That's right. Your mind goes back to that movie. Or what about this? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Come on, guys. The Godfather, right? Sorry, ladies. Most of these, guys, most of these movies are guy movies, but it's because I'm a guy. All right? So what about this one? Luke, I am your father. Star Wars, and you go back to that bridge scene, right? Or last one, we'll bring some Christmas in. That's the gift that keeps on giving, Clark. Right? You go back to the living room and Christmas vacation and the Jelly of the Month Club, right? Now, I, I say that. I, I'm going somewhere with that. My point is, when you hear a line of a movie, you go back to that scene. Are you with me? Or you at least go back to that movie. You know the event that that line is pointing you to. Now, I said all that to say this. Everybody, right here. John, four, John 1, 14, and these next few phrases are simply quotes from the movie that is the Old Testament, a real story, particularly the events that happened between Exodus 32 and 34. When you hear these lines, the reader is supposed to go back to those events just like you just did with those movie scenes. Now, let me give you the Old Testament quotes. Now, I thought about testing you uh, to see if you knew these better than you knew those movies, but I might be afraid of what we would find. So let me give you the quote from the Old Testament that John is taking you back to, and then these verses will make sense and we'll go have eggnog. Okay? So here's quote number one. Are you ready? Here's quote number one. I will be their God. And they will be my people, and I will dwell among them. And you're supposed to, as the reader, go, oh yeah, I remember that scene. Yeah, I remember back in Exodus 32, 33, and 34 when when Moses said, man, God, we ain't going anywhere if your presence doesn't go with us. No, I remember when God established the tabernacle so that the presence of God would dwell with, with, with the people of God. I totally remember that scene in the movie. I totally remember that in the Old Testament. When Moses understood, if you don't have the presence of God, you're doomed. But do you remember back in that real story that the presence of God was limited? That not everybody could come in. The presence of God wasn't dwelling with everybody. Remember that scene. Movie quote number two. Movie quote number two from the Old Testament. Show me the money. No, that's Jerry Maguire, right? <laughs> what was the line? What was the line? Show me your glory. Oh, yeah, the reader's supposed to. I totally remember that in the Old Testament when Moses didn't just want the presence of God. He wanted to see God. He wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to know who God was. And I remember that scene back in the Old Testament where God says, I'm going to show you my glory, but I'm only going to show you the backside. And do you remember when he hides him in the cleft in the mountain and he just reveals himself partially? Do you remember that scene? You should. 
Movie quote number three. And this comes as a result of seeing just a glimpse of his glory. Here's the line. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, abounding in, hear this, steadfast love and faithfulness. Chesed and Amet, the love and faithfulness of God. Yeah, I totally remember that scene. I remember right after God revealed himself partially, a glimpse of his character to Moses, Moses' response from that experience was, wow. The love and faithfulness of God is overwhelming. Now, are you with me? All I did was take you back to the movie. Again, the real story of the Old Testament, where three specific scenes happened that these quotes are taking you back to. And if you will keep those in your mind, the next couple of phrases make total sense. You ready? Ready for some best news? You ready to keep eating? Next phrase. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh! Now I know what that's taken me back to. In fact, the literal reading is He tabernacled among us. In other words, John's saying, do you remember when Moses longed for the presence of God? When he he wanted the presence of God more than anything, that he wasn't going to go anywhere without the presence of God with him. They wanted the presence of God to be with the people of God. How does that get answered in full? Because it was only in part then. You ready for the answer? And the Word became flesh. You want the presence of God. Do you want God to dwell in your life? Here's how. Be in Christ Jesus and God will be with you. Do you remember, I ain't preaching short today, do you remember when Ezekiel said, I I see this vision of the future where the glory of, where the presence of God returns to the temple? He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about a person. Do you know how I know? Because I've read the New Testament. When Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will build it up in three days. Isn't that ironic? Of course, it's not ironic. It's prophetic. Because Jesus, three days after he would die, would walk out of the grave. The whole argument of the book of Hebrews is, you don't need the temple for the dwelling of God because you have the one who has fulfilled the temple. It ain't a building. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And if you want to be in the presence of God, you must be in Christ. But here's the beauty. It ain't in part. It's the whole. You have the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And there will be a child born. And you will call his name Emmanuel. Which means, say it with me, God with us. Do you realize, dear friends, that God has arranged a meeting place with you? 
And it is not Starbucks, and it is not Caribou, and it's not the local park. It is the person of Jesus Christ, and he will meet you there today. You see, because the Word became flesh, because God became man, what it means is we can dwell in His presence in the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that glory? Are you full yet? Well, the meal ain't over. Because look at the next phrase. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His you ought to be saying, that sounds familiar. We've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. What is John doing? He's taking you back to when Moses was saying, I want to see you. It's not just to be in your presence. I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to be in in the language then would be covenant with you. We use the word relationship with you today. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you, God. Yeah, but Moses, you can only know me in part. So how do you know God in full? You ready? And the word became flesh. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know God? Know Jesus. This happens all the time in the Gospels. Let me give you just one example in John 14, verse 8. Watch what happens here. It says, Philip said to him, that is Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. If you'll just show us God, same thing Moses is asking for, show us your glory. And Jesus said to him, really? Okay, so I added that. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Or as simply put, Jesus says in John 10 verse 30, I and the Father are one. Everybody look right here. Do you want to know God this morning? Let me just say, you can know God this morning. How do I know Him? How do I see Him? How do I experience Him? The answer is, and the Word became flesh. You can be in the presence of God, how? Jesus Christ. You can know the glory of God, how? In Jesus Christ. Are you full? Meal still ain't over yet. I'm cooking all day, brother. Come on, let's go, all right? Next phrase, and this is the last one. Full of grace and truth. Now, what John is doing there, again, he's taking us back to the Old Testament scenes. But now, in the Old Testament, it uses the two words, uh, love, chesed, and faithfulness, emet. Uh, here John is using the two words grace and truth. Okay, Similar concepts. But he's still referring back to, follow me, the experience that Moses had after he experienced the glory of God. Even in a glimpse was, oh my goodness. 
The love of God is overwhelming. The faithfulness of God is inconceivable. It is is more than I can understand. What is John saying? Jesus is that to the max. If you thought God allowed Moses to experience the grace and truth of God when he just got a glimpse, imagine the grace and truth we experience now when we have God in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, in Jesus, God is pouring on you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So much more than they ever knew in the Old Testament. Look quickly uh, at verse 16, uh, John 1. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Real quick, real quick, right here. God did a gracious thing in giving Moses the law because it revealed sin. I've told you this before. The law is a mirror. It exposes that you're not perfect, right? That was gracious, but all that did was expose the problem. It didn't solve the problem. So what does God do in the person of Jesus Christ as God takes on flesh? Right here, right here. Come on, like a little hallelujah here. God solved your problem that the law exposed. You thought the law was gracious? Imagine Christ! Because Christ actually solves the problem that the law created. So yes, God gave grace through Moses, but in Jesus He gives grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You are swimming in the deep end of grace when you are in Christ Jesus. And that's is a message we need to hear at Christmas. And here's why. I'm almost done. Disclaimer. I'm not picking on Christmas. I'm not. By Christmas, I mean modern Christmas, the way it gets expressed in the culture, versus real biblical Christmas. Here's what I mean. I'll be careful. I want you to think about the messages we hear in our culture at Christmas And then I want to show you why that's not really the message of Christmas. You ready? Let me start with, I'm not picking on anything, Santa. i got to be careful. I'll be careful. All right? Here's the message. Here's the message. If you're a good boy, what do you get? Or girl, you get gifts. If you're a bad girl or bad boy, you don't get gifts. Exact quote. Okay? Here's the theology. He's making a list. He's even going to check it twice. And he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. So what's the conclusion? Be good for goodness sake. That's the message. Modern Christmas is not based on grace. It's based on moral goodness. But the Bible says that none are righteous, no, not one. And the Word became flesh because you need grace not to be good. Hello, you're not nice. You're naughty. I mean really, 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 really naughty. But the cross, the cross turns naughty to nice. So I don't want you, I'm not asking you to be good 
at Christmas. I'm asking you to experience grace at Christmas. Because that's what real Christmas is about. Grace upon grace. You thought love and faithfulness was a lot in the Old Testament. Imagine grace in the New. We are not picking on modern Christmas. We're just ripping right through it with the message of the gospel. I'm not done. <laughs> Preach, preacher. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll give you two movie examples. Okay, good movies. Not saying you shouldn't watch them. The first is A Christmas Carol, right? Humbug. And the kid's uh, uh, story of uh, Grinch. Grinch, you stole Christmas. Okay, Both of these are very similar in message. Here's what they are. You ready? What happens in the story? Somebody goes from being stingy, humbug, stealing all the presents, to what? Being generous. And what the culture then say, says is, that's really the point of Christmas, right? To go from being this stingy person to being a very generous and giving person. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Listen carefully. That's not what Christmas is about. Now, Pastor Terry mentioned earlier that we give because God so loved the world He gave absolutely yes and amen. The implication of Christmas is that we are to be generous. But the point of Christmas is not to be generous. Let me say it this way. You ready? Because now I got you listening. Christmas is about you receiving the gift of grace, not becoming a better giver. An implication of the grace that you received is being a giver. But that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about you receiving something, not learning how to give. That's only going to happen when you've received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I'm really not concerned. In fact, that's why my approach as your pastor has never been to beg you to give anything. It's simply to point you to the gospel every single week. Because when you understand the, I mean, just like, like when you're even more than Moses and you've caught a glimpse of glory and you've caught a glimpse of majesty and you've received grace upon grace, I don't even need to preach a sermon on giving. It just flows, brother. It just flows, sister. So Christmas, this Christmas... Make sure you have received the gift of grace that is the Word made flesh. Let's look at the verse and we're done. And the Word became flesh. What does it mean? It means God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. What are the implications of that? What does it mean for us? Next phrase. And dwelt among us. How do you experience the presence of God? In Jesus. Next phrase. And we have seen His glory. Do you want to know Him? Do you want to see Him? Do you want to behold Him? How do you do that? In Jesus. Next phrase. Full of grace and truth. Do you want to experience the love and faithfulness, the grace and truth of God? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. How do you do that? In Jesus. So here's my question. Every eye look right here. Do you know Jesus? Do you 
know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you have been given glory and majesty and grace more than you will ever comprehend. It's hard for the human mind to fully understand that God became a man. But, but the real issue is not the human mind. The real issue is the human heart. I'm not asking, do you understand it? I'm asking, do you by faith believe it and receive it? Because far greater, oh my goodness, far greater than a man trying to become a bird just to get birds into a barn, far greater than that is the fact that the Word became flesh to bring us to God. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the Christmas miracle. But it is not just that He came into the world. That's glorious. But He must come into your life. That, as Paul Harvey would say, is the rest of the story. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this amazing truth. Um, it's basic for a reason because it's foundational to life, foundational to the gospel, foundational to what you are revealing in your word. And my prayer is this. There are some people here today um, that have lost the sense of majesty of this. They just need to pause and take it in. And to feed their soul on glory. There are others in this place today that they have never experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never repented of their sin and received the gift of grace in Christ. And I pray right now, right now, that they would turn from their sin and by faith look to Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, you know the need of every heart in this place. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to reveal, convict, draw us. Draw us to you. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.